0: Week isn't it? Week by week, we're coming together, meet together, we get God's word open together, and we feed on it together, think about it together, learn together, grow in grace and grow in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus together, and we spare each other on to live for Christ. That's the goal. Together, and we're doing a series on prayer. So if you've not picked this up, this we're doing a sort of eight great prayers series. We're looking at prayer. Because, and I keep saying this every time, because in the kingdom of God, the things that matter come from God, and therefore we need to ask for them in prayer. People becoming Christians, fellowship together, genuine love for each other, a passion for Jesus, for this parish, for this city, for reaching people with the love of Christ maybe even going beyond South End somewhere else, maybe a foreign land, maybe someone in here might end up in a completely foreign country learning a completely different language to take the gospel where it's never been before. Could be dangerous. That won't happen if the coffee's right and the lights are right and the midweek programs are right and all that kind of thing. That stuff, the important stuff happens when we pray and we ask God for it. So we're thinking about prayer. We've done um, a number of different prayers already. Jesus' prayer, the, well, the Lord's prayer that Jesus teaches, Abraham, the Apostle Paul. Uh, today we're doing the Syrophoenician woman. Uh, we'll go to that in a minute. Jacob, Nehemiah, Hannah, Jehoshaphat still to come. But let me whet your appetite, please. We're learning how to pray today and to pray without ceasing. Right? That's a scriptural command. Pray without ceasing. Pray with persistence. Don't give up. Now, there are two big killers to stopping, to to not persisting. Uh, Let me suggest two for you. Number one, silence. So I've prayed and prayed and prayed, Lord, I've prayed. You might be talking to a fellow Christian, I've prayed and prayed and prayed, but radio silence. Nothing. Nothing back no change that's a killer number two if you haven't got silence you've probably got setbacks oh I prayed and prayed and prayed but actually I was just discouraged Uh, things got worse I was praying Lord lift me up help me and actually I felt the Lord's hand heavy upon me felt like he was pushing me down that's a killer Felt like that? Some people might be here going, yes, this is exactly how I feel right now. Probably. We have in Matthew's gospel an incredible woman with incredible faith who shows us what it is to pray with persistence. It's a moment recorded in the providence of God this for our benefit. So we would do well to, I don't know, highlight it, keep it open, meditate on it, chew on it for a while we're going to read of a mother who's desperate for her daughter and incidentally i can't help this it's so good um incidentally do you know that in the gospels in the four gospels matthew mark luke and john you have um interactions with jesus with all four parental loves let me explain what i mean by that so here we have a mother and her daughter coming to jesus You get a mother's love for her son, the widow of Nain. There's a funeral procession. Jesus stops it. You know, the son comes back to life. He restores the relationship of the mother with the son. You get a father's love for a daughter, the synagogue ruler Jairus, whose daughter is desperately sick and dies. And Jesus goes to her, heals her. And you get a father's love for his son, um, the son who's fitting and foaming at the mouth, and Jesus makes him whole. That's in Mark 9, Matthew 17, Luke 9. See, can you see that? All four loves, father, son, father, daughter, daughter, son, uh, sorry, mother, daughter, mother, son, mother, daughter, all there. And isn't that because, it's sweet that really, because the Spirit of God who's superintending over these scriptures knows. This is where the heartache is. There's a lot of heartache here. So it's like the Spirit's going, I'll undertake to make sure that we've got lots of examples of the Lord God interacting with these relationships. Because this is where a lot of pain is. So that we know when we're going through this stuff, and it's hard, we know, oh yeah, the Lord knows. He's given us lots of examples of this because the Lord knows. He knows this can be really painful. So that's just a little side point, really. Matthew 15, let's read the account then. Matthew 15, 21 to 28. So we're we're hearing a mother's cry for her daughter here. Matthew 15, let me read from verse 21. So leaving that place, Jesus had been Within the bounds of Israel, he's now going to a foreign land. Uh, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman, non-Jewish, not part part of the people of God, from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Now, i just pause. I'm not going to go through, I'm not going to really say anything about, demon possession or an impure spirit today, have done in previous talks, I'm just not going there today because I have got time just enough to say last two words, she's suffering terribly Jesus did not answer her a word not a word so his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away for she keeps crying out after us He answered to his disciples, "'I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel.' The woman came and knelt before him, "'Lord, help me!' she said. He replied, "'It is not right to take the children's bread "'and toss it to the dogs.' "'Yes, it is, Lord,' she said. "'Even the dogs eat the crumbs "'that fall from their master's table.' Then Jesus said to her, Woman, you have great faith, your request is granted, and her daughter was healed at that moment. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God. Okay, now we will get to persistence, but I just want to open up this passage for us a little bit so that we can think about it, think about what's going on in the story with the silence of Jesus, the opposition of the disciples. And the hard words, these are hard words that Jesus gives to the woman here. Now for me, just, just so that you sort of get my take on this, the overall take on this, my overall take on this is that Jesus is drawing out of this woman her great faith. He's sort of in, this, in these scenes here, in these moments, he's kind of teasing it out, he's bringing it out. And he's doing that not just for her sake, like she's going to sort of bear forth this wonderful faith. He's going to do it in front of these disciples of his. Then, those disciples then, and by virtue of the fact that it's recorded here, us today that we might look on and go, oh, wow, what fabulous faith. It's a bit like if you just want me to sort of have a look around scriptures just to see where else you might see this do you remember the woman who um was bleeding for 12 years and she went to touch the hem of jesus robe do you remember that and powers drawn from jesus and he's like where did that come from and instead of just leaving it and walking away he actually wants to sort of create a bit of a scene and draw this woman out who touched me who touched me and in fear and trembling you know, she kneels at Jesus and said, it, it was me. He draws out the woman's faith and the whole crowd is looking on, wow, like that. It's kind of drawing it out. Didn't have to, but for her sake and for the sake of the crowd, drawing it out. Let's see this, Let's see this great faith. Similarly, think of um, Peter at the end of John's gospel. Do you remember when Peter had denied Jesus three times? Don't know the guy, don't know the guy, don't know the guy. At the end of John's gospel, He's like, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Does it three times. He's drawing out of Peter. It's quite disturbed. Peter's like, what are you doing this for? Why are you saying this? It's not easy. But he's drawing out of Peter faith, courage, conviction, because he knows what what kind of responsibility and what kind of death um, Peter will face in the end. So you can see that, can't you? Jesus does this he draws out um, faith now that's important just to have that overall picture he's kind of drawing it out of this woman but the other thing to think about is the language Jesus uses here because whatever way you slice it uh, it's not you know it's slightly unusual if you've never read this before maybe you've not long been a Christian not read much of the Bible maybe not read this part of the gospel uh, you might be thinking to yourself I've not heard Jesus speak like this before This is quite unusual to hear him liken this woman to a dog. So let's just have a think about that. Let me just read it to you again. The woman came and knelt before him. This is verse 25. Lord, help me, she said. And he replied, Jesus. It is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. And that's pretty harsh, it's pretty hardcore strong dogs even it's even worse if you go actually back to the first century dogs are domesticated animals today we have them in our homes and we let them lick our faces well some some of us do Um, back then they were wild religiously unclean scavengers so why did Jesus say this good question right And worth thinking about. Someone may ask you this one day. Someone might sit you down and say, Matthew 15, Jesus called a woman a dog. What would you say? Let's think about it. Number one, here's a few things to think about. Number one, firstly, when you hit something like this, when you look at a passage like this, be careful, be careful not to take that position, 2,000 years later, you know, with the benefit of a nice sort of environment, looking down at these words and going, "Oh, yeah, Jesus, think I would have chosen different words there. I think I could teach him a few manners, maybe choose a different example. Be careful of that. My, the default here for me is I just go straight into the shoes of the disciples. Remember what the disciples are doing? The disciples, all of them, are telling, the, are telling Jesus, get rid, get rid of this woman, she's a nuisance, she's annoying, can we just get rid? Right? That's what the disciples are doing, that is what I would have done, right? I don't want to get on a high horse at this point and imagine that I would have been much better because the likelihood was that I'd have done exactly the same. So uh, just resist the temptation of jumping on a high horse. Commentators do this. If you go and read Bible scholars, they tend to jump on a high horse at this stage and go, oof, maybe Jesus could have got away without saying that. But he did. I would avoid that temptation. Second, know that Matthew records this and Mark. This story is in both Matthew and Mark. And it is immediately after Jesus has challenged the Pharisees about their sort of problem with unclean things, right? The Pharisees have come to Jesus and his disciples, like, why aren't you washing? Why aren't you doing all the religious ceremony stuff? You're going to be unclean if you don't do the proper washing and all this kind of thing. And Jesus is like, oh, well, hang on a second. Um, That is not how we get unclean. It's not the stuff outside coming into our bodies that makes us unclean. It is our hearts on the inside. That's what makes a person unclean. right? And Jesus has been emphatic about that to his disciples. So it's it's immediately apparent by the fact that Matthew puts these stories side by side that Jesus can't actually be saying to this woman, Oh, I need to dissociate myself from you and distance myself from you because you're not Jewish. So I need to just create a bit of distance. I've only come for the lost children of Israel. I can't be doing with you unclean. I need to distance myself. I can't be saying that. Third, when we read written texts like this, it's impossible to know just how Jesus delivered this line. It's impossible to know just how he spoke these words to the woman. Let me just change it ever so slightly, because remember, we are... Sort of dealing with language here, it's quite hard to know how these words would have been heard. But let me just change it slightly. You might just get my point if I, if I sort of change the words slightly. Imagine I said today, um, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the foxes. Now immediately, can you see, uh, just by changing that word... I've chosen a different animal there, equally equally as kind of uh, homeless and going through your bins and everything else, all that sort of thing. Possibly even a better example for us in our day and age. Um, But you can see it doesn't sort of carry the same weight and power as a word like a dog. Um, So it, it could be actually that it wasn't heard that way and it was actually more about the fact that well I wouldn't give bread to a fox like I would give bread to my children you know so it may have been heard slightly differently and of course Jesus might be saying it in a way that she understands like he's not actually insulting her but going can you see like I've come for the lost children of Israel I've come for them rather than for the For the Gentile people, for the people beyond the bounds of Israel, just like I would give bread to children rather than give bread to a fox or a dog. Which brings me on to fourth, my final point on this. I'm laboring this because I think it is important that Jesus, the key thing here, the offensive thing, the offensive thing that Jesus is really saying is that he's the Jewish Messiah. He's come first for the people of Israel, for the children of Israel. That's his first port of call. That's where he's going first. And that's the challenge. That is the real challenge that sits on top of the metaphor here. As if to say, God's chosen to save the world this way. Right? God has chosen... To save all the world in this particular way, through a Jewish Messiah and a Jewish people first. He's chosen to do it that way. Are you okay with that? That's the question. God's going to do it this way. Are you all right with that? Because of course, just putting ourselves in this woman's shoes for a minute, you might want to say, Ashley... Um, God I, I think you should work out your, your salvation based on how authentic someone is or I think you should work out your salvation based on the British let's start with the British and then work out from there or let's start from the Chinese and work out from there you know, or um, let's base your sort of routine of salvation from prayer or from religious works let's do it that way And God's like, no. The way I've done it is through this small nation called Israel, very weak, very small in number, surrounded by massive nations like Egypt and Syria and all these places. I'm going to choose this tiny little nation. I'm going to choose a Messiah who's going to be weak and is going to die on a cruel cross. And that way, I'm going to save the world. And by doing it that way, you'll know that it's not about how authentic or strong or clever or how religious or how prayerful or how amazing you might be. I'm doing it this way, through weakness, through a small and insignificant people, and through a weak, crucified Messiah. That's the way I'm going to save the whole world. And by doing it that way, I'm going to include everyone. Now, are you willing to submit to that? That is the real challenge that Jesus puts to this woman. Now, having just set that up a little bit, can you kind of see where this is all going? I want you to see this remarkable woman and her remarkable faith. This is what happens, okay? I'm going to just do it in five little scenes for you, just so you see how wonderful this woman is. Scene one, she cries out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. And what does she get back? Silence. Jesus doesn't say a word. That's Matthew 15, 23. Silence. Scene two. She continues to cry out, nevertheless, to the disciples and say, look, help me, whatever she's saying to the disciples. And the disciples are like, send her away, get rid. So now she's got opposition. She's had silence from Jesus. Now the disciples are giving her grief and telling Jesus to send her away. Opposition. Scene three. Despite the opposition... She comes before Jesus and begs him on her knees, asking that he would drive out this impure spirit from her daughter. And Jesus replies, in essence, no. It's not time. And it's not right. Scene four. Even though Jesus has said that, She is not dissuaded. Her response is something like, though you are right in your judgments, I know you have grace even for me. Scene five, Jesus commends this woman for her incredible faith and her daughter is healed. Silence doesn't stop her. Setbacks don't stop her, opposition from the disciples doesn't stop her, and a humbling word from Jesus doesn't stop her. She persists despite all of those hurdles she keeps going. Amazing. Silence, opposition, and no amazing isn't it and from a very unlikely place remember the disciples these jewish disciples are looking on at this syrophoenician woman so we're up in the northeast corner of syria like in phoenicia they're outside their usual stomping ground they've gone up there maybe they're having a little retreat or something they're up there in fact it could possibly be this like jesus has gone there i'm gonna teach you something you guys let's go and let's go and visit this place and meet this woman because I'm going to show you something amazing and from the outside right, a woman you wouldn't expect this wasn't like a Pharisee or religious leader coming along and showing great faith, uh, faith. this is a Syrophoenician woman a Gentile non-Jewish not dissuaded by silence opposition or Jesus' words to her and Jesus is like this here it is that's what faith looks like there. Now might this just stop there. Might Jesus be doing a similar thing for you today? He is drawing out a deeper faith To you, it looks like silence, zero, nothing. And then opposition, oh, just more stuff in my face, making it even harder. And then even beyond that, a humbling, oh, I just feel more humbled. Further still, you might have felt that. And you might be feeling that. Or if not, you might feel that one day. You might feel like that's the kind of way I'm feeling right now. Right, we need this. You need this in the toolkit. Look at this woman. She persists through silence, through setbacks. But why? Last question. Just to finish here, why? Got to ask that, haven't you? Why does she not stop? This is the key. Why does she persist? Why was, what's keeping her going? She knows something, doesn't she? She knows. In fact, I think she knows at least two things. And the clues are in the passage. So the first one is, verse 22, she calls Jesus the son of David. That's a little clue. Matthew's kind of throwing it out to us. She knows who he is. Otherwise, you wouldn't wouldn't say that. That's a very specific title, Son of David. It's the same as saying, oh, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. So she knows that much. I know something about you, and I know that you're this Christ, the Christ of God. So she knows that, and she knows that God's rescue plan the living God of Israel has always been for the benefit of the whole world. She must know that, because remember when Jesus said to her, "It's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs," Her answer is, "Yes, it is. <laughs> it's great. That. It's the way the NIV catches, actually. This, this version of the Bible gets it really well. Uh, yes, it is. It's quite bold. Yes, it is right. Because even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. She's saying, no, yes, all the nations will benefit from Israel. You could translate it a bit like that, if you like. She's like, Ashley, I know something about this God. I know something about this Jewish Messiah. And I know that all the nations benefit in the end. I know that from this table, the crumbs drop off, if you like, and all the world benefits I know that now I don't know how she knows that but she could have looked at Hagar there's loads of she probably she probably went to her midweek Bible study I don't know out there in Syrophoenicia perhaps she knew some Christian people perhaps she knew some you know devout uh, children of Israel or something like that who were showing her these things she might have known about Hagar think of the great women of the Old Testament Hagar the Egyptian Right, Non-Jewish, Hagar, who knew the Lord's care and provision, even when she was outcast. She was provided for. Think of Rahab, the Canaanite. right? Perfect line up there. The Canaanite woman, the Canaanite prostitute even, who found favor and refuge in the God of Israel. Even though she was an outsider. Or think of Ruth, the Moabiteess who though not Israel, was received in. You come and be a part of this covenant people as well. Maybe she knew those things. So knowing this, you see, knowing that God is faithful. I know what you're like. I know it because I know something about this God and I know something about his Messiah. Knowing that, right, Knowing these stories, knowing what this God has done, she persists. Despite the silence, despite the setbacks, despite even the words that Jesus gives her in that moment to draw it out. I want to see it. She's like, I know that the goodness of God has always overflowed to the nations and I'm calling upon it now. I know you have grace for me. I know you can do a work in this situation as well. And she does it so graciously. She submits herself. She's like, yes, I know. I know I'm not a Jew. I, I know I'm not part of God's covenant people. Right? It's not like she's sort of elevating herself and trying to sort of say, hang on a second, that's not fair. And she's like, I know. I, I'm submitting myself to this scheme of salvation that you've decided on, Lord. That's Okay but I know that you've got grace for me, even still. That's what gives her persistence in prayer. I'm going to finish with this because um, this woman and her faith has been such an example to the church that it's been enshrined in one of the massive prayers of the Church of England. I'll I'll tell you, I know that... uh, Uh, june's going to know what i'm talking about Uh, a guy called thomas Cranmer, in 1549 thought that just before we receive communion you know when we come forward in this church we come forward and we have some bread and wine just before we receive communion i want the whole country to say this prayer this was thomas Cranmer's prayer immediately before receiving it's called the prayer of humble access listen to this We do not presume to come to this your table, merciful Lord, trusting in our own righteousness, but in your manifold and great mercies. Listen, we are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under your table, but you are the same Lord whose nature is always to have mercy. Grant us, therefore, gracious Lord, so to eat the flesh of your dear Son, Jesus Christ, and to drink his blood, that our sinful bodies may be made clean by his body, and our souls washed through his most precious blood, and that we may evermore dwell in him and he in us. Amen. So can you see, Thomas Crammel was like, here is faith. This is what it looks like to receive from the living God. To know that even though we might be unworthy, God is faithful and always delivers. We're not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under your table. That is true. But you are the same Lord whose nature is always to have mercy. That is true. And therefore I can come and receive. And therefore I can persist in my prayers, despite silence, despite setbacks. Because I know you, and knowing you, I know there's mercy. The Canaanite woman. Matthew 15. It's brilliant, isn't it? Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for um, these scriptures. Thank you that you've put inside this little story in just a few short verses incredible depths of life-giving truth that will sustain us when we meet similar hardships, similar situations, similar trials, similar silences, similar setbacks. Lord, we pray, would you give us this kind of faith, the one that Jesus commends here, that knows what kind of God you are and calls upon your promises and does not stop. And we ask in Jesus' name, amen.